What's up? And welcome back to the SportsBall.com podcast. I'm your host, Jackson Williams. And let's just jump right into it. we got a lot to get into this week because uh, NBA playoffs are right around the corner. Um, this is episode 12. Uh, if you've missed any of the first 11 episodes or uh, you just want to hear more of me, you want to hear more of my beautiful voice, just go to SportsBall.com and click on podcast and you'll find these or you can find them on iTunes. But with that all being said, let's just jump right into the content this week, shall we? So let's start with the NBA because like I just said, Playoffs are literally right around the corner. And when I say they are right around the corner, I mean they're starting this Saturday. And I don't think I could be more excited. This whole 82-game season was just so long because we all knew the Warriors were just kind of, just kind of, you know, just sleepwalking through the whole thing to get to the playoffs because that's where they're really going to really gonna play and really going to shine. And I'm excited, to be honest with you. Um, and so last week we started off the episode by taking a, uh, a look at the state of affairs in the West in the Western Conference playoff situation because things just have been changing so frequently. But now everything's set in stone. And so this week, we need to go through all that again just because it's set in stone. We'll go into as much detail, obviously. But we also need to look at the East. we got to break down all the playoff, all the people in the playoffs, and then give, I'll give you my official pre-playoff predictions for what's going to happen in the first round, second round, third round, and then the finals. So let's just go through it. The Western Conference standings now, and this is finalized, they look like this. Rockets are number one, Warriors number two, Trailblazers number three. Those three haven't changed. Those are the same. The Thunder are number four, Jazz number five, Pelicans six, Spurs seven, and eight is the Timberwolves. So those last five, big shakeups on all that. But that's finalized. It is Rockets, Warriors, Trailblazers, Thunder, Jazz, Pelicans, Spurs, Timberwolves. And in the East... Is Raptors, Celtics, 76ers, Cavs, Pacers, Heat, Bucks, Wizards. That's it. That's the top eight. So let's quickly go break things down team by team before I'll give you my predictions. So first, the Rockets, number one in the West. They get to be talked about first. Here's how I'm really feeling about the Rockets heading to the playoffs. They haven't really had anything significant happen to them recently. To be honest, like nothing. No one's gotten like really badly hurt or anything. Um, and out. Outside of Chris Paul and James Harden, for the majority of the year, their team has been relatively healthy. Uh, that is until their last game. One of their rotation guys, Luke and Bob, Luke Richard and Bob Mute, got hurt in the uh, last game of the year for the Rockets. Uh, what do you, I think he dislocated his shoulder is what happened. He either dislocated his shoulder or sprained his knee. It was one of the two. I might be getting confused with Corey Brewer. But he's hurt. Um, and some people are saying it's going to hurt their odds at a championship, and if that means you need to put another asterisk on this Warrior, Warriors title, I mean, so be it. Whatever helps you get sleep at night. But I don't see why this is that big of a deal for the Rockets, um, any more so than the fact that as, uh, Mike D'Antoni's your head coach, and in the playoffs, he's not very good, and your his teams always get smoked. So I don't think the injury to Luke Richard and Bob Mute is really going to make a big difference, especially because he's not like a major player for this team. Um, but yeah, the Rockets have been more or less the same all year. They run their system, James Harden, Chris Paul, ISOs, and then when that ISO doesn't work, just flip it out to a shooter on the outside and put up a three. They shoot like 53s a game. Or not 50, but like 45, but it's close enough. Um, but here's the thing with the whole fact that it's a system, and their offense really is a system. It's kind of, it's pretty refined. I'll give them that. It's a refined system. But in my experience in seeing watching and experiencing these postseason runs throughout all sports. 
systems don't really work. And I'll say this with, base- with baseball because this is where it's most evident. I believe the reason the Dodgers blew the World Series last year was because they were using a system. Dave Roberts, um, his starting pitches would go like five innings. They wouldn't go th- into, into the batting order after a third time. He'd just go to his bullpen. And that works in the regular season. It works great. But once you're in crunch time, you can't rely on a system. Systems don't work in the postseason when the spotlights are the biggest. What works in the postseason when spotlight is biggest is when individuals step up and put the team on their back. They stand up, they jump on the desk, they bang on their chest, and they put the team on their back. And they have performances that are legendary, like we've seen in the past from LeBron James, Kevin Durant, just anyone in the postseason, if you're willing to carry a team, and no one on the Rockets has ever done that. I mean, you can say James Harden's carried his team through several rounds in the first couple couple rounds, but he's never made it past the Western Conference Finals. When he's leading a team, he was the third wheel on that on that 2012 OKC Thunder team, but I don't know. I just don't trust the Rocket system. I don't think they have anyone who's really going to step up and put him over the top in the playoffs, which is what you need. Um, Chris Paul and James Harden have a history of getting the playoffs and then falling apart. And so I don't, I don't really believe that they're going to be able to carry this team um, to the finals, especially if they have to run through the Warriors. Speaking of the Warriors, let's just jump right in and talk about them. I actually haven't talked specifically about the Warriors in a couple weeks because, like I've been saying before, I was relying on their recent action as a crutch just to kill some time on this podcast. But um, So my thoughts on the Warriors after the postseason um, or after the regular season and heading into the postseason is that you can't really look at their recent games as an indicator for how they're going to do in the playoffs because they ended their season in a bad stretch due to a lack of effort, um, just really a lack of trying on mostly on the defensive end, but sometimes on the offensive end, and also a lack of unanimous MVPs. Um, Stephen Curry has been out for last like three weeks. He's coming back. Um, he's probably going to miss round one, but uh, he said he has no setbacks. He's on track to be able to play in round two. He's been putting up videos on his Instagram. There have been things flying around social media saying that, oh, he might be able to come back before then. So that's exciting. Um, so there has been speculation that maybe he'll be able to return for the first round or before the first round is over because I don't think he'll be ready for round or for game one on Saturday. But that's exciting. But he's the main reason why you can't look at the recent Warriors action in any indicator of, of why they will or will not succeed in the postseason. And they they've based been resting players. They've been getting rotation guys more minutes. Uh, yeah, it's not been like a refined playoff rotation, if you know what I'm saying. Because you want to make sure all your starters and key guys are healthy heading the playoffs, so you spread out minutes more. Um, give them to minutes who guys give minutes to guys who won't play in the playoffs. Um, but the thing is with the Warriors, even without Steph, they still have Kevin Durant, who's an MVP, a Finals MVP, like a three-time scoring champion. They still have Klay Thompson, best pure three-point shooter in the league, also a spectacular defender. They have Draymond Green, reigning defensive player of the year, one of the top three defensive players in the in the league. Um, year in, year out, you can make an argument for him number, at number one. I'd put him at number one, but certain other guys deserve um, recognition up there too. And then they still have their depth. With, and their depth has been ridiculed all season because they ha- their depth is primarily veterans and a couple of first and second year guys because um, they're cheap contracts and they fill up a bench and they can get experience for when these old guys eventually decide to, to leave the team and retire. But 
They still have Andre Godala, Sean Livingston, and David West. All three who have championship championship experience. Andre Godala, Sean Livingston with two titles. David West with one. They they all three know how to win in the postseason. And they're all three very key coming off the bench for the Warriors. Andre Godala was a dud for the first like three quarters of the season. It just looked like he was running laps up and down the court. But this last quarter of the season, he's been great. Ever since the All-Star break, he's shooting like 40% from three. Sean Livingston's spectacular in the mid-range game as always. And then David West is... Probably the Warriors' most reliable big man off the bench. Um, yeah, and the the bottom line for the Warriors in the playoffs is this. If Steph comes back and is at least 75 80% healthy, or what he is um, normally, then the Warriors will take home a title. However, if he isn't healthy, or if he's a shell of his former self, then they won't win. And I, I wouldn't feel too bad if... In, in, of course, I wouldn't like it if an injury is what ends up breaking up the best four-year run in NBA playoff or NBA history. But you can't really do anything about injuries. It's it is what it is. Um, so let's move to the number three seed, the Trailblazers. Uh, the Trailblazers were blazing hot right before and after the All Star break, setting the league on fire. Damian Lillard emerged as a MVP candidate, and then the last couple weeks they were ice cold. Um, which raises a concern, at least for me, that they peaked too early. Um, and I think and now at the conference finals or a run at the NBA finals is completely, completely out of the question. I know some people were thinking that they had an outside chance of being able to make it to the finals if they catch Houston on a couple of bad nights or catch the Warriors on a couple of bad nights, but I don't think it's happening. Uh, Warriors have handled them every time they've played them for the last like four years now, and then they always have good games with Houston, so I, I could imagine a series between those two lasting more than four games or lasting more than five games, but unfortunately they're not in the same side of the bracket, so it's not going to happen. Um, but the thing with the Trailblazers is they still don't play any defense. Uh, none at all. And especially their two big superstars who play the majority of the game, C.J. McClellan and Damon Lillard, have no interest in playing defense and never really have. Um, and I don't know, defense is kind of a big deal when it comes to the playoffs. If <laughs> if you didn't know, now you do. Um so, really, I don't trust the Blazers to win a series against one of the top dogs in the West. And, of course, by top dogs, I mean Warriors and Rockets because those are the top two teams in the Trailblazers are number three. Um, yeah, so that's really it for the Trailblazers. Number four, OKC Thunder. I'll keep this quick because well, I rag on them like every week. And I can't wait for their season to be over, so I don't have to think about this iteration of the OKC Thunder ever again. But uh, they were not great all season long. They struggled to implement Paul George for any of the offense, and they've lost several key pieces. Andre Roberson, their best defensive player, got hurt and is not coming back all year after rupturing his left plateller tendon. Um, the guy they signed to replace him after he got bought out by the Lake, or yeah, by the Lakers, Corey Brewer. He just got hurt in the last game of the year. Uh, I think he sprained his knee, so he's he's questionable for round one which is a big deal because they're the fourth seed so they're going to have the toughest toughest round one matchup of any team um, in the west but uh, yeah so they've just struggled offensively all year without Andre Roberson but their offense is also just isn't that great um, side note Russell Westbrook did average a triple double for his second straight year thanks to uh, an absurd game against the Memphis Grizzlies um, and there are two things that sentence says shouldn't sound right absurd game when I say absurd game, I don't mean really good game. I just mean what he was doing was absolutely absurd and kind of ridiculous. And it actually made me kind of angry. Um, and then the Memphis Grizzlies. So uh, he did it against the Memphis Grizzlies, who are easily the worst or second worst team in the West. 
one of the worst teams in the entire NBA all season. They were very aggressively tanking. Um, he needed 16 rebounds in his last game to get average a triple-double for the season. And so he went out and he got a career-high 20 rebounds, many of which were done by obvious stat padding, thanks to boxing out his own teammates. Like Carmelo Anthony, there was one instance where he elbowed Carmelo Anthony in the neck while boxing him out to get a rebound. And then he had 19 assists. But he also scored just six points on two-for-nine shooting. And I don't know about you, I can't remember the last time he shot less than, I don't know, 18 times, 20 times a game. But, uh, yeah, he finally got his second straight triple-double year. Uh, first time in NBA history that's ever been done, so congrats to him. I didn't really think too much of it because last year, I guess it was it was more legit to me because he had, like, 42 triple-doubles. So he had a triple-double in over half his games, which is, in my mind, what it should take to average a triple-double instead of just getting 820 assists and 820 rebounds. He only had, like, 26 triple-doubles this year, but it is what it is. Nice job for him. And the thing is about that game last night is when he had a career high 20 rebounds in those 19 assists while only shooting nine times, the OKC Thunder offense looked better than it had all year with him acting as a distributor and a rebounder instead of a shooter. Um, but I think we all know in the playoffs he's just going to shoot like 40 shots in games three, four, and five and get eliminated in the first round. But uh, yeah, that's all I really want to say about the Thunder. They're still led by Russell Westbrook, who's never really had any great playoff success individually. Um, they've got Carmelo Anthony, who also has never had any great playoff success individually, and same with Paul George. Um, so yeah, and then number five, who's going to be playing the Thunder first round are the Utah Jazz, who are red hot, arguably the hottest team in the entire West. Um, they play the best defense in the entire NBA, and their defensive rating is 101.6, which means they allow 101 points um, in a game, which is easily the best in the league by like two or three points. And they have the ability to stifle any team's offense with relative ease. Um, but their offense is led by Donovan Mitchell, who I, I think is the rookie of the year. Um, but the thing is, with the Jazz, is because they're being led by Donovan Mitchell as their leading scorer, um, I don't know how well he's going to be able to do in the playoffs because he's a rookie. And you can't really ever project how a rookie is going to succeed in the playoffs, if that makes sense, because... It's their first year. You know what they did in the regular season, but the playoffs are a whole different animal. It's much more physical, and the, re- the whistles are different from the refs, and the bright lights are always on. But Donovan Mitchell has had his moments in key nationally televised games this year, so I have every reason to believe that he will be as good as he was in the regular season, but you never know. Uh, they also have several other nice pieces around him. They've got a couple other nice big guys. They've got Rudy Gobert who I think has been the best defensive player in the league this year, objectively, just taking my bias towards Draymond Green out of this. Um, they got Derek Favors, who's been doing okay, and they got Joe Ingles, who's been shooting like 40% from three, as well as a resurgent Ricky Rubio, who's looked better than he ever has with Utah in these last like 20 games. Uh, but yeah, that's the Jazz. They've got the best defense in the league, and then an offense who can do just enough to get them a win over... Uh, over the opposing offense that they just shut down with their defense. Um, The Pelicans are in the sixth spot. Um, They play at a very fast pace, which is probably the most distinguishing part of their whole team. Um, Their pace is so fast it's sometimes at a historically great level. And their team is really built around Anthony Davis in a near-perfect way, uh, with several shooters and distributors who allow him to do work on the interior. And that's really the reason why he's been playing like an MVP these last couple months. He He should have finished in the top three of MVP voting, I'd put... Me, personally, I'd put LeBron, then Harden, then um, Anthony Davis, but 
Harden's going to win. So I guess my opinion here isn't really relevant, but he's just been great, especially since they lost to Marcus Cousins. Um, and on top of his great season, and well, Anthony Davis has been able to do before, and he was really good in his one playoff series before. It's just there was no team around him. Um, this year, there are people around him. He can rely on Rajon Rondo, his point guard, who's been spectacular for the last couple of weeks, but he's just a different animal in the postseason, like we saw last year with the Chicago Bulls, where they nearly upset the uh, Boston Celtics, and then he got hurt, and then the Celtics ended up coming back from a 2-0 deficit to beat him. Um, they also got a variety of shooters around him to help spread the floor, open more, open up more driving lanes for Anthony Davis. They've got Drew Holiday, who's having the best year of his career, and then Nikola Mirotic, who has been really good. I, he, I watched him play against the Warriors, like, second-last game of the year, and he hit, like, seven threes. So, yeah, I think the Pelicans are actually, like, a sleepy good team for uh, in the West right now. But, yeah, that's really all about them. Um, the Spurs are in the seventh seed because um, the Spurs have made the playoffs for 21 straight years. This is easily the worst team, um, worst Spurs team to make the playoffs in those 21 years, and that's just a testament to how good of a coach Greg Popovich is. Um, but this team is full of very old guys. Uh, maybe you could even classify them as ancient. Um, and while they're relatively old, they also have a couple of nice other younger guys. Uh, they're still dangerous for a couple of reasons. Uh, the number one reason is Greg Popovich, who is perhaps the greatest coach in NBA history, and is definitely the co- greatest coach in the NBA today. And what he can do with maximizing talent up and down the roster against really good teams. We've seen it time and time again. And then they also still have the X factor that is Kawhi Leonard, who is currently in New York rehabbing or not rehabbing, just basically he's just away from the team. But uh, no one knows whether or not he's going to come back or if he wants to come back for the playoffs, but if he does, it'd certainly be different. Um, the thing about that is I don't know. I don't think he's going to come back. I wouldn't expect him to come back. The Warriors said today that I don't expect him to come back. Um, I, don't, I don't think his teammates would want him back or even would welcome him back. That relationship just seems so just irrepar- irreparably fractured at this point. Um, but, yeah, so the Spurs are very old and – they have a lot of experience, but I don't think they have enough firepower to keep up with the top dogs in the West, especially with the lack of superstar um, superstar scoring at the top because they're missing Kawhi Leonard. Um, yeah, and they're going to run into the Warriors in the first round, so they're going to be here for a series. Um, and then number eight is the Timberwolves, who snuck into the playoffs um, after winning a winner-take-all game against the Nuggets yesterday, which is why I'm recording this podcast so late is because is because uh, I wanted to know the results and have the seating and everything available so I could give you the most up-to-date and current information heading into the playoffs so I don't have to make any redactions next week or, you know, I don't really feel like correcting myself. It seems like a hassle. But uh, so the Timberwolves are in the eighth seed, and they're being coached by Tom Thibodeau. And uh, spoiler alert, Tom Thibodeau teams are not great in the playoffs. Uh, they don't have a great roster normally, which doesn't really matter for the Tibbs teams because he only uses about six of the players on his roster. And in that case, with the Timberwolves this year, their roster just I don't think it's really that great. They've got they've got a nice big three of um Jimmy Butler at the top, Carl Anthony Towns, and Andrew Wiggins. Jimmy Butler has postseason experience. He's been there, he's done that. Carl Anthony Towns has none, and neither does Jim Andrew Wiggins. Um so I don't know exactly what they're gonna give us, but all I know is Andrew Wiggins has not been good this year. He hasn't really ever been 
spectacular in his NBA career for a consistent period of time, so I have no reason to believe that he's just going to break out in the playoffs. Um, they do play solid defense, but I don't know. I don't. I don't expect the Timberwolves to do anything. I think they're one and done in this. Um, I think their success, if they have any success, is going to ultimately fall on the shoulders of Jimmy Butler, who has the experience, but he's not 100%. He's been hurt. He just came back from surgery, and he's not a great shooter. Um, I think the Timberwolves will be interesting, and I hope they're successful because they're going to play the Rockets, but I don't see any any series win happening for the, for the Timberwolves. But so, yeah, that's just a quick breakdown of each individual team right there. So here's what's going to happen in the West. Through the eyes of me, here's what's going to happen. I'm telling you right now, I'm going to be right about this. The Rockets are playing the Timberwolves. The Rockets are going to win that series in five games. The Warriors are playing the Spurs. The Warriors are going to win that series in five games. The Trailblazers are playing the Pelicans, and the Pelicans are going to win that game in seven, in that series in seven games. That's an upset right there because Trailblazers are three, Pelicans are six. I just think the Pelicans have enough to be able to take down the, the – uh, the Trailblazers, who were really struggling towards the end of the season, and the Pelicans, they've got, I think they can do it. I think they can make that upset and make it to the second round. Um, and then the other the other series, last one is Thunder, who are the fourth seed versus Jazz, who are the fifth seed. And this is the second upset. I think the Jazz win in six. Jazz have, the, again, the best defense in the entire NBA and have just been red hot. While the Thunders, I don't know. I think Russ is going to shoot him out of games. And Paul George, he might have a couple good games, but. Uh, I don't know. I feel like Carmelo Anthony's going to shoot them out of games as well, so I, don't, I just don't really trust the Thunder. And the quicker they're out of the playoffs, the quicker my quality of life will improve. <laughs> uh, yeah, so that's the first round. We got the Rockets winning in five, Warriors winning in five, Pelicans winning in seven, and Jazz winning in six. And then the second round, this is going to happen. I'm telling you right now, I'm going to be right. The Rockets are going to run into the Jazz. The Rockets are going to win that series in seven games. And the Jazz are going to make it interesting because they play such a high level of defense that they can match the high level of offense that the Rockets do, and they can disturb them and run them off the three-point line, which is key. So I think the Rock, I think the Jazz can take three games, and then I think the Rockets will win in seven games. But if the, I think it's going to make their their big names and Chris Paul and James Harden their legs tired, make their shooting stats drip drip or droop further low, farther. What am I saying? They're going to make their shooting stats fall even lower than they have in the recent weeks. Uh, and then the Warriors are going to play the Pelicans, and the Warriors are going to win that series in five games. I think Anthony Davis can just explode for one of those games, but the Warriors are going to have Steph Curry back at that point. So, yeah, the Warriors will win that in five games. And then the conference finals are going to be the Rockets, the Warriors, matchup we've all been waiting for all season. Um, and the Warriors are going to win that, win that series in six games. Uh, the Warriors are just a top-to-bottom better team with better talent, with better talent and more of that talent. Um, and I think the Rockets are going to be, Rockets are going to be uh, tired after that seven-game series with the Jazz. While the Warriors are going to be relatively fresh from losing a total of two games in that first uh, first two rounds. Um, and let's go to the East. The East. Um, Eastern Conference standings, like I said before, Raptors are one, Celtics are two, 76ers are three, Cavs are four. Pacers are five, Miami Heat are six, Bucks are seven, Wizards are eight. I only said the city name for Miami. I I just can't say the Heat. It just doesn't sit right in my mouth. I have to say Miami Heat. Uh, that's not related. <laughs> uh, I'm losing my mind. It's It's been raining on and off for like three days, and I'm fed up with the rain, and it's making me super tired, and just I have no motivation to do anything, and I'm very... 
It's hard to read right now, let's be honest. Um, so let's go to the Eastern Conference. Raptors are the first seed. Let's quickly break down each team. I'll try to be faster than I was with the West. Um, the Rockets have, Raptors have a ton of depth, but there are a lot of questions with their depth. Prim- primarily, that questions are having to do with their inexperience and in the, inexperience in the postseason. But uh, the thing is with the Rock, Raptors, their offense has been fine for the majority of the year, including these last couple of weeks when they were on a little bit of a skid. But in that skid, their defense completely fell off a cliff, um, which, again, is a pretty friggin' big deal in the postseason is your defense. So, and they were really never able to regain that momentum on the defensive end uh, in those last couple games. They had one really good game against, like, the Celtics B team um, last week. But their defense just hasn't been great. Um, And then they're being led by DeMar DeRozan and Kyle Lowry, who in the playoffs repeatedly fall off a cliff in terms of production, and I don't expect that to change. There's a big enough sample size for what they do in the playoffs to understand that nothing's going to be any different this year for them than it was in years past. Like, it's great they won, what, like 63, 65 games in the the regular season, but DeMar DeRozan and Kyle Lowry are different players in the postseason, and they're worse. It's not like different, like, wow, LeBron James is really good at the, in the regular season, but once he gets in the playoffs, he's absurd. It's like it's the opposite way for DeMar and Kyle Lowry. And, yeah, you can try to convince me or convince the world or convince Twitter followers that this year's going to be different because DeMar DeRozan learned how to shoot threes this year. And, yeah, it's true. He did learn how to shoot a three, and he's not, like just, he's not throwing him off the side of the backboard anymore. But let me remind you, it's not like he's Steph friggin' Curry. DeMar DeRozan shot 31% from three, which, again, isn't very good. So while he did learn to shoot a three, he still doesn't shoot him at a very high percentage. I think that's lower than Draymond Green. Uh, sorry, Draymond, for the, uh, the slander. But, uh, yeah, that's for the, for the Raptors. I don't really expect the Raptors to do anything. The Celtics are in the two seed. They've lost two of their three best players. They're going to have to rely on Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown to be their primary scorers in the playoffs which is not that great because Jalen Brown is a second-year player and Jason Tatum's a rookie. Uh, but this is going to be good for them in the long run. It's going to get them, those two guys, with a lot more experience, but it's not going to get them very far this year. They just don't have enough offensive firepower without Kyrie. Um, but I do think Brad Stevens is one of, the, one of the best coaches in the NBA, probably number two behind Popovich. And he can mac- maximize talent out of everybody or just get like every ounce of effort and skill level out of anybody he has, especially out of the point guard position. But I don't see a way that this team makes it out of the second round, um, especially without Kyrie. But I think next year it's going to be huge, this experience that Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown get in the playoffs because they're going to have to lead a team. Um, and I think best thing for them long term is one of those two guys is going to have to go to, with the second unit. And if they're going to have the experience from this postseason and running the first unit. So if they can take that to the second unit, they're going to be lethal next year in the playoffs. But this year, not so much. The 76ers are in the three seed. And they are the hottest team in the NBA. I know I said the Jazz were the hottest team in the West earlier. The 76ers are the hottest team in the entire NBA. They won 16 straight games to end the regular season. And they won like half of those games without their best player, Joel Embiid, who should be back after game one in the first round. Um, In that stretch, they beat a fully healthy Cavaliers team that was benefiting from a Herculean effort from LeBron James and a a once-in-a-blue-moon spectacular game from Jeff Green. So that's it was incredible. It was a really good game to watch. The 76ers just blew them off the floor in the first half, and they were able to weather the storm in the second half as LeBron James decided he wanted to win the game. 
Um, another thing with the 76ers is that they are super young, probably one of the youngest teams in the NBA. They're definitely the youngest playoff team, which means that they are inexperienced, but I trust this inexperience more than I do any other team, especially because they're in the East. And the reason I trust their inexperience is because they don't have the same reasons to fear LeBron like the Raptors and Celtics do. They haven't gotten beat down repeatedly year after year by LeBron. They simply don't know better. They think that they can run with LeBron and the Cavs, and I think they can. I think that could be deadly. I think the 76ers could end up making the, the NBA Finals. Um, yeah, I think this team has the potential to be like that 2012 OKC team that had KD, Russell Westbrook, and James Harden um, when they were just like young puppies and no one expected them to be able to make the Finals over uh, the Lakers or the or the Mavericks, but they did. They made it, and then they lost to the Heat in five games, but... They were they were just they all became superstars and I think the 76ers team is loaded with young guys who have the potential to be great. They've got Ben Simmons, who's probably a top eight point guard in the NBA. He's a rookie or a redshirt rookie. They've got Joel Embiid, probably the best big man in the NBA right now. I say best big man for like the t- every one of the top five big men. He's definitely a top three big man in the league. Um, they've got Markel Fultz, who just came back, and he had his tri- first career triple-double, and it was the youngest triple-double in NBA history in the last game of the year. And while he still can't shoot, he's he looks really athletic, and he's I think he's doing a really solid job for what all the videos showed of him. And then Dario Saric, the year or guy they just got a couple years ago, who's I've been I've been watching more 76ers games than normal these last couple weeks, and he's really stood out. He's he looks like he's going to be solid in the playoffs because. He's a really good shooter, and sh- I, I don't know. I think his game really going to be able to translate, especially as a uh, spot-up shooter that they need. Um, and the Cavs, they're in the fourth seed. They've got LeBron James, which uh, kind of a big deal because he hasn't lost in the first round in a single first-round game in like eight years. Um, but the thing with LeBron James and the Cavs is that the recipe to make that team successful or a LeBron James team successful is that you got to have LeBron James you got to have four shooters to surround him within the perimeter. And the shooters were not great this year. They've got J.R. Smith, who is particularly awful. Probably had his worst year since he'd come to Cleveland. Not probably. He did have his worst year since he came to Cleveland. Um, I think Kyle Korver might have had a down year. I didn't really pay too much attention to him. Um, but then they picked up Jordan Clarkson and Larry Nance, who have very little experience in any big games whatsoever. They picked up Rodney Hood, who's injured and might not even be able to play more than a game in a row in the playoffs. They've got George Hill, who's not good, and I've been saying that for like two three weeks now, ever really since the trade happened. He's just washed. But he was looking really good on the Kings team because they're all washed, and when you're all washed, the least washed person is uh, stands out. They're also the 29th-ranked defense in the entire NBA, and I honestly think that LeBron might need to average 40 points, 15 assists, or 15 rebounds and 10 assists to get to the finals this year. I think the East is as wide open as it has ever been in the last eight years since LeBron James started his incredible run. And then also, if things weren't couldn't get worse for the Cavs, Tristan Thompson got caught cheating on Khloe Kardashian in, in a nightclub and got exposed all over Instagram just before she had her kid, like literally the day before they had their kid. So that's a bad look. He probably got some bad Kardashian look coming for you in the playoffs. Um, yeah, I it was pretty crazy, that whole story. Um but what, this is the second second time he's cheated on his pregnant girlfriend right before she's having her their kid. So I mean it's probably it's probably a good thing that the Cavs paid him all that money that he did get. Because I no longer think that 
he's overpaid because he's very clearly just going to have to pay for like 80 kids over the course of his life. Um, but yeah, that's it for the Cavs. And the fifth seed, you got the Pacers, who are a very young team with a chip on their shoulder. And that chip comes from the fact that no one's recognizing them, no one's talking about them, no one's giving them any semblance of a chance in the playoffs, except for me. I wrote about them last Thursday. Yeah, I wrote about them last Thursday. I said that they might have the best shot to upset the Cavs in the first round or in the playoffs, them and the Sixers. The thing with them, with the Pacers, is that they're not a great three-point shooting team, and they're, in fact, among the league's bottom third at three-point shooting. But they are among the league's best in two-point shooting. I think they're top five, as well as they're very solid defensively. So really what they are is the anti-Cavs. The Cavs are really good at shooting the three, but really bad at defense. The Pacers are really good at shooting the two and really good at defense, but they're not great at shooting the three. So that's a perfect round one matchup in my mind. This is everything I'm looking for. Plus, they've got Lance Stevenson going up against LeBron James again. And if you don't remember, Lance Stevenson is the guy who blew in LeBron James' ear when he was in Miami. And that's the most famous NBA gif of all time. It's my favorite. I use it all the time, and it makes me laugh at least like once a week. Um... Yeah, so the Pacers are the fifth seed, Miami Heat are the sixth seed. They're just, there's not really much to say about the Heat. Uh, they're just a team full of guys who I think could have one guy could have a really good game out of nowhere, but ultimately I don't think they have a real chance to do anything in the playoffs, especially as they're going to be running into the bullet train that is the Philadelphia 76ers in the first round. Yeah, they've got a couple nice veterans. They got D Wade, they got Udonis Haslam, but. I don't know. I don't see them being able to do anything. There's a reason they're the sixth seed. Uh, the Bucks are the seventh seed. They are the worst period, coached period, team period in the entire NBA period. So that's worst coached team in the entire NBA, even after they fired Jason Kidd, who was terrible as a head coach. They do have Giannis, Giannis Antetokounmpo, who is a great player, probably top five player in the East. Um, but the players around him are not great. Um, they're just okay, really. Um, and then their, their last game of the season, they just got absolutely blitzed by the 76ers and lost by 35 points. They were down by like 40 at, at the half. Um, so really what I'm saying is I have absolutely no faith in the Bucks being able to do anything in the playoffs, but I think they might be able to beat the Celtics just due to the amount of injuries that the Celtics have, and with their luck, their entire team's going to combust in the first round. Um, and the Celtics are all going to die in a big fire because everyone on that team has been hurt. Probably the second most injured team um, to the Warriors this year. But yeah, so that's the Bucks. I don't really expect them to do anything. And then number eight is the Washington Wizards, who uh, who do have John Wall and Bradley Beal. Wow. Does that sound like does that sound like a good superstar duo or what? It's not. Spoiler alert, it's not gonna work. Um, they also have Kelly Oubre Jr. Uh, and Otto Porter, but the team reportedly hates each other. Specifically they hate John Wall. Uh, and they're the eighth seed for a reason. It's not that great. John Wall is a ball-dominant point guard who can't shoot. Uh, and he crumbles in the clutch, as we've seen time and time again. Last year in Game 7 of the Eastern Conference semifinals against the Celtics, he went like 0 for 11 in the fourth quarter. It shot them out of the game, and he won't relinquish the ball. Uh, and that's one of the reasons why this team sucks. But they're a reason they're an eighth seed. They're not very good. They're not going to do anything uh, ever. I think they need to blow up their roster and start over. Um, but yeah, so that was a quick rundown of the East, and not so quick actually, because I think it took like twenty minutes. But ah, you get the point, right? Um, so let's quickly, or maybe not so quickly, but you know, let's let's run through the same thing I did with the West. We'll go through the round by round predictions for the East. Round one, Raptors taking on the Wizards. Raptors are going to win that game, win that series in six games. 
Um, I think the Wizards can win a couple of games if Bradley Beal gets really hot, has like 40 points, or John Wall gets hot, has like 37 points or something. Uh, I could be less. I could be... I, get, I think the Raptors might actually win that in four games, but we'll stick with six. We'll give them a little bit of wiggle room. Um, Celtics are taking on the Bucks. I think the Celtics will win that series in five games. Just because how poorly coached the Bucks are, whereas the Celtics are incredibly coached, even though they don't have as much talent. Um, the 76ers taking on the Heat. I think the 76ers win five games. I think they might drop that first game um, without Embiid, or they'll lose a game in Miami. Um, and then the Cavs are going to take on the Pacers. I think the Cavs will win that series in six games. Even though the Pacers will put up a good fight, I think all games will be close. But the Cavs have LeBron James, and the, and the Pacers don't. And so that's round one. Raptors are going to win in six. Celtics are going to win in five. Sixers in five. Cavs in six. And that's, that's what's going to happen. I'm letting you know right now. Like a week or two ahead of time. It's happening. Um, and then in round two, we got the Raptors and the Cavs. The Cavs are going to win that series in six games. Uh, the Raptors shit their pants every single time they see LeBron James. They don't even have to be playing him. They could they could see him at the All-Star break and crumble. Uh, and the Celtics are going to take on the 76ers, and the 76ers are going to sweep the Celtics, setting up an epic conference finals between the Young Guns and the 76ers versus the King and the very old Cavs. Now get ready. Because while this is not an, a, technically an upset because of the seeding, I think the 76ers are going to win the series against the Cleveland Cavaliers in the conference finals in seven games. I, just, I, I feel good about the 76ers. I've been watching them more and more recently. I saw them destroy the Cavs a couple days ago, even when LeBron James was at his best. And they won. I think the 76ers is going to the finals. I don't think they're going to win the finals. I don't think they're going to win. I don't think they're going to be able to win more than one game in the finals. But they're going there, and that's what's important. Um, yeah. So that's probably enough t- enough time talking about the NBA. How long was that? Oh, I don't. You know, I'll let you guys know. Let you in on a little secret. I record this podcast in GarageBand, and I have no idea how GarageBand works. <laughs> I plug in the microphone, I make sure it records, and then I I just I click the record button and then I, I exit the screen. I have no idea how to check how long it's actually been. Um, it's probably been like 30 minutes or something. I'm sorry to where I talk too much. Um, but yeah, so that's it for the NBA. And then we'll try to keep the rest of it quick because I know I've been talking for a while. So let's quickly go to the NFL. And there are a few things to talk about, not a whole lot. Because the league is getting ready for the draft and things are going to heat up around the draft time. And then after that, right during that, right before, teams are going to make trades. And it's going to get exciting. It's going to get exciting real fast. But as of right now, things are kind of slow. Things are kind of stalling. But there are a couple things to talk about. So let's quickly talk about those. Um, Number one, the Browns, who have the number one pick in the draft, are leaning towards taking quarterback Josh Allen with the number one overall pick. Uh, that's pretty cool. Uh, he's the quarterback from Wyoming. He's seen as the biggest project of all the quarterbacks in the draft, but he does have the strongest arm. Um, he has been giving a pro comp of a guy like Big Ben, so that's a potential high upside with that, but you can't start him in his first year. I don't think he's ready. And there are other quarterbacks who are really good going to be available in the first round, like Sam Darnold, um, Josh Rosen. So the whole pick thing could change. This not, I'm not saying it's definite. I'm just saying sources are saying that 
Cleveland really likes Josh Allen. They're thinking about taking him in the first round. And uh, what's happening? Oh, so <laughs> sorry about that. I'm watching the uh, the Giants game against the Padres on my phone as I'm recording the podcast, and it looks like someone just ran onto the field. So I get distracted. My bad. Look how unprofessional I am. But let's be honest here. You're listening to an amateur podcast. Um, so the next is the Browns, same team, new story, are also preparing to sign or are expected to sign Jarvis Landry, the stud wide receiver they just acquired this offseason from the Miami Dolphins, to a five-year, $75 million extension, which is massive. It's probably one of the biggest contracts a wide receiver has gotten in the NFL history. And good for him because he's been one of the best young receivers in the NFL, and if Cleveland can lock him up for a long time, it only sets him up better for the future and the quarterback they're going to draft. Um, and the last story with the NFL uh, for this episode of the podcast is with the 49ers. And this is not fun, but I've talked about the 49ers every week. But this is the least fun story the 49ers have had because their standout second-year middle linebacker, Ruben Foster, who they got late in the first round, uh, had his arraignment today for his alleged domestic violence case after reportedly dragging his girlfriend by the hair out of the house bursting her eardrum and hitting her in the head eight to ten times. And that's what uh, he's being charged with by the uh, by the district attorney. And it's not, it doesn't look good. Um, the 49ers have not cut him yet. They seem to think that he might not actually be guilty or that they might know something that we don't. Um, or that maybe even the courts don't. They might trust Ruben Foster a little more than everyone else does at this point, but... Uh, if he's convicted, he ha- is facing an 11-year prison sentence. So it is very possible that Reuben Foster has played his last down in the NFL. And he only played one year, and that's kind of sad. I, re- I thought he was a really talented player, but at a certain point, your off-the-field issues outweigh your productivity on the field. I think the 49ers need to cut him, regardless of how talented he is, or regardless of how he could be one of the best defensive players in the NFL. His off-the-field issues are not worth it. Domestic violence should never be tolerated in any capacity in the NFL or any professional sport. And I think for every second that Foster remains in the 49ers, the team looks worse and worse. It's a bad look because the 49ers have had issues with Alden Smith, uh, Ahmad Brooks, and other guys in the past with the same kind of stuff. And it's, it's, it's a horrible look. The NFL has more of this than any other league. And... It sucked with Reuben Foster because he was a really promising rookie and John Lynch really took a chance on him after a couple issues at the Combine. But it is what it is. I want, if he's convicted or if this, if new, no new information comes to light, I think he needs to be cut. I think it's not worth it to keep him on a team. Um, but yeah, that's it for the NFL. <laughs> wow, that took a turn. Um, yeah, I've been doing this for a while, so you've probably heard enough of me. So that's cool and briefly talk about the MLB. We'll get more in-depth with the MLB after the uh, NBA playoffs end because that's really all I can think about right now outside of my Giants. Um, but speaking of the Giants, as the season is now in full swing, we're like 10 games in, the Giants are 500. <laughs> and, well, that might not sound too great to all of you. You might have been expecting something a little better. This is exactly what I expected. This sounds good to me, being 500. And like I've said before, and I've said for a couple months now, or not a couple months, for a couple weeks ever since Bumgarner went down, if they can hover around 500, maybe a couple games above, a couple games below 500, 
before Bumgarner gets back, once he gets back, I think they have a shot to make the postseason. You may call me crazy. You may say they don't have a shot at all, but I think they got a shot as long as they're around 500 when Bumgarner gets back. But yeah, that's all I really want to say about the Giants because uh, there have been a couple of games that have been a struggle to watch, a couple of games that have been really fun to watch. But uh, yeah, Andrew McCutcheon's been really clutch. Evan, Evan Longoria hasn't really gotten it going, but the team's basically been how I, performing how I expected. But let's move on because there are several other teams that are exciting that we should talk about at least quickly and briefly before I end episode 12. So several teams have exploded out of the gate. And number one, one team that has exploded today is the be- not today, but out of the gate is the Boston Red Sox. The Boston Red Sox have got off to their best start in franchise history at ten and two. Their pitching staff has been legit, especially their starters. Their whole staff has a combined ERA of three point one seven, which is sixth in all of baseball. Um, they seem to be clicking on all cylinders, and that could create a very interesting race on the stretch for the Yankees or with the Yankees. Uh, but yeah, so the Red Sox are really good. All their starters have been performing really well. David Price looks like he's going to bounce back after a relatively bad season last year, which is good for them. Um, I'm not a huge fan of the Red Sox, per se. I'm more of a Yankees guy of those two teams. If I had to pick a side in the rivalry, it'd definitely be the Yankees. Um, not because I like really good teams, but because I did live there for a year when I was a very small child. And that's where my sister was born. So, yeah, I can, I can have that connection with any New York team whenever I want. Um, and speaking of the Yankees, they have stumbled out of the gate. So these are not one of, this is not one of the teams that has done well coming out of the gate. They've gone 6-7 and seven in their first 13 games. Their team ERA has been 22nd in the league at 4.54. Their offense has been pretty good, which, is, which was, you know, about as good as we expected it to be especially with the addition of Giancarlo Stanton. But here's the thing about that addition. Their offense has been good despite Giancarlo Stanton because he's been pretty bad after a fantastic first couple of games to start his Yankee career. But since those first couple of games, he's been atrocious. He has had two different games where he struck out five times. He has a batting average of 241 this year with three homers and 10 RBIs, but he's struck out 23 times. 23 strikeouts is the second worst in all of baseball behind a second-year player on the White Sox. He's getting booed in his home stadium in Yankee Stadium. Uh, so you could say he's off to a rough start. Uh, that might be an understatement, but I think the Eagles will be fine. Their offense is going to find themselves. I do worry about their starting pitching. Uh, their entire rotation kind of uh, is old and I don't think it's that great, but they have the prospects to be able to make a move at the deadline or sign a guy if they really need to. But yeah, there's no reason to overreact. It's been 13 games. Sample sizes are still super small. It's a 162-game season, so relax. Everyone who's booing Giancarlo Stanton, he's going to be fine. He's going to hit like 40 homers. Relax. If you're complaining about 40 homers, I'd like to tell you to go, uh, I'd like to tell you to, uh, go shove something from yourself something to somewhere that is also on yourself and where the sun does not shine. I'd like to tell you to go shove something up your ass if you were complaining about 40 homers. <laughs> if he hits 241 with 40 homers, so be it. When was the last time a, Giants, a giant had 40 homers? That's right, Barry friggin' Bonds. Uh, so chill out. Um, another team that's been scorching hot is the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim. I did not think this was coming. I didn't think they were going to be that great. But the most compelling story with the Angels and perhaps 
all of baseball has been Shohei Otani, who's been even better than advertised in his first couple games. Otani, who is known as the Japanese Babe Ruth, has been an absolute beast on both sides of the ball to start the year. He's made two starts, and in those two starts, he's pitched 13 innings and has 18 strikeouts while only walking two. And most importantly, he has two wins. And in those two starts, his most recent one, he took a perfect game into the seventh inning against the Oakland A's. And it's not like the Oakland A's hadn't seen him before because he pitched against him in his first start too. And then on offense, he's been just as good. He's hitting 364 with three homers and eight RBIs. He hit his first career triple today to clear the bases in a base load situation against the Royals. His home runs, his three home runs, were also hit in three straight games, which is dope. <laughs> I'm so lame. Um, I think there's also an argument that he could end up being the AL MVP, right? What do you think gets in the AL MVP? He's a pitcher, a starting pitcher, and a DH. If he wins, what? I don't think he's going to start 30 games or 33 games like any other pitcher because I think they're taking it easy on him. But if he starts like, what, 20, 23 games? I think if he wins 12 or 14 games, strikes out 180 guys in 140, 150 innings with like an ERA and under three, that's pretty good. But it's not good enough to get you the Cy Young Award. But if you do something else on top of that, if you can hit like over 300 with like 20 home runs and like 80 RBIs, your impact is felt so much on both sides of the ball that I think you have a legitimate chance to win MVP. I think it's an interesting concept. It's the first time it's really ever been done in the last 100 years where we've had a player who's really this good on both sides of the ball. Um, but yeah, so the Angels are 10-3. and three. They've still got the best player in all of baseball, Mike Trout. Um, so yeah, I didn't expect them to be this good coming out of the gate, and they'll probably fall back down to earth at some point, but... Maybe they're not. Maybe they're really a good success story because, I mean, the Pirates have started off 9-3, and three, and we all know that they completely gutted their roster this offseason. So while everyone's overreacting to them having the best offense in baseball in the first 13 games, we all know that they're going to come crashing back down to earth in, like, game 40. Um, we only have a couple teams left, so bear with me. Um, right behind the Angels in the AL West is the Astros, who have been just as good. They're 9-3 and three as opposed to 10-3. and three. Uh, they're just one of the best, most well-rounded teams in all of baseball, perhaps in baseball history. They have so many quality bats up and down the lineup. I don't think there's a real hole. They've got so many good starting pitchers. They've got seven good starting pitchers in a rotation for five guys. They've got more starting rotation guys that are well-qualified to be able to do anything that they know what to do with. It's unfair. I have, I see no way that this team can win less than 99 games. They're so freaking good. And I'm so excited for the Astros to be good again because as people who know me, who've known me for a while can attest to, I've said they were going to be good for years and years and years, just like I did with the Royals back the year before they won the World Series. I have a Royals hat with the All-Star Game patch from 2011 on it, saying that they're going to be good in like four years. And I was right. They won the World Series in 2015. They were there in 2014. They got beaten seven games by... Madison Bumgarner, who is the greatest postseason pitcher of all time. And I'm going off on a tangent here, aren't I? Let's get, let's get back on topic. We'll, we'll wrap this up. My voice is getting a little tired and my throat is getting a little hoarse. So we'll talk about one more team and then we'll get out of here. Um, the New York Mets are off to their best start in franchise history at 10-1. and one. Their rotation, 
who have been given the nickname by somebody, I don't know who, they are now called the quote-unquote Fireball Five, just started in order for the first time in team history. Those five guys, and you might recognize some of these names, Noah Syndergaard, Jacob deGrom, Steven Matz, Matt Harvey, and Zach Wheeler. And they all look freaking legit this year. Maybe maybe not so much Matt Harvey because he's had some issues, but those are four legitimate aces, potentially five. That's as good of a starting rotation in the NL that you're getting. They've also got a lineup that has very little hole, very few holes in it. Their coaching hire from the offseason looks like an absolute home run, Mickey Calloway. I don't know. I think the Mets are legit. I think I said it last week. I said it in my seven days, seven takes segment that is now canceled um, for further notice. Um, uh, that I think they can win. I think they're going to win the World Series this year. I think the Mets are that good. They've, they're stacked. They got a well-rounded lineup. They got an incredible starting pitching. I don't know my, a whole lot about their bullpen, but they've got a lot of talent in a division that can be very competitive. But I think they can do it. Um, yeah, let's end it there. <laughs> um, we talked about we previewed the NBA playoffs pretty extensively. Then we briefly touched on the NFL, the MLB, um, MLB, and and and. Oh my God, kill me! Um, NBA playoffs start on Saturday on ESPN. I think the first game is the Warriors Spurs at twelve. Tune in, watch it. Um, but yeah, so this is going to wrap up episode 12 of the SportsBall.com podcast. I uh, I hope you enjoyed it. I feel like this was definitely the longest one I've ever done. And it definitely isn't, but it feels like it is because my voice really hurts and my throat hurts. But uh, yeah, this has been Jackson Williams. I am Jackson Williams, your host of the SportsBall.com podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, want to hear more from me, go ahead, subscribe to us. And by us, I mean me on iTunes. Just hit that little subscribe button. If you want to leave me a five-star review and say something nice, a suggestion, you want to criticize me, I'd appreciate it because I'm tired of reviewing it myself over and over again. Um, if you want to hear more from me in terms of writing, you just want to hear more of my beautiful voice, you can also find that on sportsball.com. That is sportsball with a Z, S-P-O-R-T-Z-B-A-L-L.com. Check it out. I got baseball writing. I got NFL writing. I got NBA writing. I got it all for you. We got podcasts every week. I'm probably going to move the podcast weekly to Wednesday, coming out on, coming out on Thursday. I'm going to have to record on Wednesday. I just got, I'm a full-time student, so I got, a, I got a shit ton of classes on Tuesday. But it'll come out once a week. Um, we'll bring you complete coverage of the uh, NBA playoffs, and then we'll get full swing of the ML, MLB coverage after that ends. But uh, yeah, this has been episode 12 of the SportsBall.com podcast. I'm your host, Jackson Williams, signing off. Hope you enjoyed.